for us, the farms, the gardens would not only provide supplementary food crops for the free school meals program, but as well also serves as a space where these young, raw young people in these schools can acquire practical skills, entrepreneurial skills for livelihood even after they finish school. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle podcast. I'm Joy and in this episode, I'm chatting to Alfred Adjibeng, the founder of the School Farms Program in Ghana. The School Farms Program has the main objective to address hunger in schools by helping them grow their own food. But it's so much more than that, as you'll discover in this episode. Alfred is an impressive young leader who has been the recipient of numerous Young Leader Awards and grants, including the African Youth SDG Achiever of the Year in 2018, the Mandela Washington Fellowship for Young African Leaders in 2014, which was awarded by President Obama, and more recently, Alfred has been the recipient of the Chevening Scholarship at the Institute of Development Studies, University of Sussex in the UK. This list doesn't even begin to touch on his long list of accolades, but we'll pop a link to his bio and all the relevant school farms links in our show notes, which you can find at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, without further ado, I give you Alfred Adjibang. Hello, Alfred. Welcome to our show. I'm thrilled to speak to you. Let's start by learning a little bit more about you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Ghana. I grew up in Ho in the Volta region of Ghana. I grew up with um, my father, who was a smallholder farmer, and my mother, who was also a petty trader and has worked in a local community hospital. Um, my father was also a full-time educationist before his retirement, and now um, has a small garden be- behind his house where he grows vegetables for the kitchen. Wow, so that that explains a little bit about why you're interested in farming. Um, And and when he was a a smallhold farmer, did he also just grow sort of everyday vegetables or did he have a specific crop that he focused on? Most of the crops he grew um, was staple crops, especially corn, some vegetables like pepper, hot chili pepper, mm. he grew um, some garden eggs, mostly, grew some leafy vegetables as well, Africa spinach, um, and we mostly used this in the kitchen, so we didn't have to go and buy um, so much from the local market. What is African spinach like? I don't think I've ever, ever heard of African spinach before. Yeah, it's at times people from who are not used to crops normally describe it as looking almost like an eggplant. Oh, wow. Having, so you can either use the fruits or you can use the vegetables, but mostly in African homes where I grew up, the community I grew up from, they use them in vegetables, in preparing stew or soup. And it's so delicious. Oh, it sounds really good. So what, so yeah. is, is that the sort of food that you would eat on a day-to-day basis, like stews and, yes, and because, hearty yeah, meals? Yeah. Yes, I will. It's one of my delicacy, especially when you prepare it with yam slice oh. because itself is rich in veg- vegetable. It's rich in vitamins. So 
um, very nutritious and these these are not so expensive so it 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 can be harvested after every two weeks so it's quite um a good crop to have at your back yard yeah especially every two weeks kitchen. sounds like a great yield not that i know yes. much about farming <laughs> but that sounds really great <laughs> Alfred, I, I see you, you've studied in the USA as well as Ghana, and now you're in the UK studying and across various fields. Tell us a little bit about your studies and perhaps what you've enjoyed the most along the way. Yeah, in 2015, I was privileged to be part of Mandela Washington Fellowship. I was among 500 young people who were selected by President Obama's Young African Leader Initiative Program. So I was privileged to be in University of California, Berkeley, to study civic leadership and also public uh, policy. Over there, I was exposed to the Irish curriculum because University of California, Berkeley is one of the best universities in public policy in the world. So I gained a lot of information from the faculty especially looking at public policy in the global context and in the national context and the regional context and also the local context and how these all come together to reflect and the various connections between them. So it was quite an amazing experience. I interacted with a lot of African young leaders around the world where we shared experiences and forging a way, you know, we all have this African dream that Africa is the future and filled with a lot of passion, filled with a lot of energy, trying to work together to develop and work towards Africa we envisage. So in I worked on that, got back to Ghana in 2015 after the end of the program. Um, and in 2019, I was fortunate to also receive a scholarship from the Chivenin Foreign Office um, uh, as a Chivenin Scholar, where I'm currently studying governance, development, and public policy in, in University of Success Ideas uh, Master's Program. And it has been such a great experience because Ideas is uh, the university, um, the best university in the world um, in development studies in the world. So I got exposed to development practice and theory. And it's so amazing to see the interconnection between the two, where we have a lot of real life experience influencing theory, or we have it all around where development practice influencing development theories. So you see what happens in the field and you want to understand the various theories that can explain what you see. And that in itself help um, direct um, development work, putting development in the context that is understandable, that is replicable, and that also inspires a change around the world. And the experience has been quite great. Yeah, I mean, what an what an amazing opportunity to study both in the US and the UK and, you know, all of that exposure that you'd get to, you know, amazing people from other parts of Africa. Gosh, it'd be very, very inspiring, I would imagine. Um, but it's it's clear that you are also very passionate about so many important things, you know, even just from 
uh, from the research that I've done, but also just listening to you now, you, you clearly uh, light up when you talk about things like, you know, social innovation, public policy, environmental sustainability, community development, and so many other things. Um, how, did you, how did you first become interested in these topics? I say growing up also um, had an influence on the work that I do. As I said earlier on that my dad is a smallholder farmer and now a small garden farmer. Um, and my mom was also uh, working in a local community school hospital. And at the same time, she was a petty trader. So we quite grew up from a middle, a lower middle class family and were working on the side to support a family and also support a community was one of the values that was passed on to us. So I I was in school, I when I was growing up, meals were prepared and I sent to school. I wasn't really given the that opportunity to buy food at school because my parents thought it that it was more healthy to prepare food from home to school rather than buy food in school. And there I had an encounter with a friend who came to school hungry all the time. And uh, at times he's just quiet and he's inactive and he's just staring on the board. And he usually also um, wouldn't come around anybody and his grades were going bad and bad. So it is usually after I've shared my meals with him that you see him very active and so on. As time went on, um, he dropped out from school. So um, we followed up with some other friends to ask and uh, we were told that he has been put to a trade, to learn a trade because then he can be able to um, support the family at that young age. Um, that was depressing, that was sad for me because um, the absence of meal, unavailability of meal, daily meal, could really um, influence his career, his future, because he, he wanted to become an engineer. and he lost that opportunity because of an economic challenge that he had. So I felt that having school meals program in schools was a good incentive to keep um, students in school. And uh, the data is out there that getting school meals in school increases uh, school attendance, retention, and also, also increases the active learning and teaching activities in schools. So that has been the foundation of my, my belief in promoting school meals program. But over the years, um, um, when I was in the University of Cape Coast for my undergraduate program in environmental science, I was in class when um was reading the news whilst <laughs> looking off over my phone while um, lectures was going on. And a lot of media in Ghana reported that schools were closing down the whole of that week. Um, the news that kept on going around was that government was unable to fund 
school meals program, schools were delaying in opening, schools were closing down. And I felt that was quite unfortunate, aware of my personal experience with school meal and the benefits that uh, in a low income um, community could benefit and especially children from poor homes can benefit from, from such uh, programs. So I decided to organize some few friends of mine to the Northern region where the problem was prevalent. We raised some funding and spoke to the community, spoke to the schools. We, the, the intention was to understand the root of the problem. That was when we were exposed to the reality. So we decided that um, government is doing some part of it. We also need to contribute um, some part. And we felt that by developing a supplementary program, school meals or school farms program that could complement the work of um, government, that was when we felt that these schools have resources that we could leverage. And the resources are the community's cohesion, the resources, the labor that comes from the community and from the school. And in fact, when we went there, we spoke to the local community, the traditional leaders, and we spoke to um, the teachers, we spoke to the students, we spoke to the local district assembly, we spoke to the uh, municipal uh, departments of food and agriculture. They were very receptive. They, they supported us. For instance, in schools that there was no farmland or space for uh, growing the crops, the community provided um, that space. Um, the Minister of Food and Agriculture provided subsidized seedlings and seeds at about 50%. We, we worked with some private partners in the city to also raise some funds. And we were able to um, get a community involved in the hard labor. And we got some of the students involved in the harvesting initially. And we got bumper harvest so much that they were able to stop and were able to also sell some part of it. Then after the experience in the Northern regions, uh, we felt that there was more that we could do with this project. Why don't we develop an experiential learning program out? Because the students that were working on the farm, some of them said that that was the first experience they had uh, working with such a large scale farm because some of them, uh, parents are involved in rearing animals and so on, but with vegetables, different kind of vegetables and so on. They felt that acquiring more skills and the way we grew is the organic use of organic um, farming methods, good agriculture practices. Those were essential skills for entrepreneurship, all right, after school and so on and so forth. And so we came back home to our office with our friends to develop an experiential learning program where there is a connection between the school farms or the school gardens and their curriculum. 
And another thing also we realized was that they were learning so much about agric in theory, but not in practice. So we then developed a connection because we wanted the, the experiential learning program to be fit for purpose. We don't want it to be parallel from what the, they were studying in the school. So we found an intersection between the two. And our materials were most at times used as uh, learning materials or complementary and learning materials for learning courses like biology, um, integrated science and so on and so forth. And we were really, even agriculture, we were really happy about it. And there was a time I was even challenging the teachers that mathematics can also be taught in the farm because <laughs> there is a way to teach it. Experience actually brings out, gives a better aspect of knowledge or it's a way of helping students acquire more skills and so on. So for us, the farms, the gardens would not only provide supplementary food crops for the school school uh, free school meals program but as well also serves as a space where these young raw young people in these schools can acquire practical skills entrepreneurial skills for livelihood even after they finish school because again there is another problem that you only have 30 percent of those who finish these schools moving on to tertiary institution, any form of tertiary institution. So we have a huge chunk of um, young people who drop out and certain times also move to the cities. So you have a rural urban migration, move to the cities to look for unexisting jobs. And they end up, some of them end up getting involved in social vices and so on. For, for me, much of it culminates into my experience, my day-to-day -day experience, identifying challenges and building institutions, building projects around it, and seeing how these uh, problems can be solved with communities on resilience, value system, resilience, resources, and so on and so forth. So that was quite amazing. And much of what I studied during my undergraduate, I studied environmental science. So that reflected in the sustainability component because we kind of focus on um, organic farming and good agricultural practices, practices that are climate smart, I would say, and practices that are sustainable enough that they don't hurt the environment and we don't deny the future generations of, of the resources that we are currently enjoying and so on and so forth. So my day-to-day -day experience growing up and so on influences um, the work that we do at, at school farms. I think it's quite an interesting concept that is such an important such an important element, uh, you know, which is feeding students and making sure that students are are able to attend school and to you know do well at school through having a meal, um, becomes a community issue, which I think is really cool and really amazing. If the community accepts the project and owns the project, there is a high probability that the project will succeed, because the students from the community 
attend the schools. So if this community is supporting the project, they understand what the values, the goals of the project, then you expect that they are going to be key stakeholders. And also there is a way that the communities that work with, you need to understand the kind of community you are working with and the way to preach, okay? And the various power systems in those community. So you interact with the community, you go through the leaders of the community, they mobilize labor. So there is something we call communal labor in the communities that we work with. Communal labor is, um, it's, it's, it's something that happens in the community. They mobilize resources to either support a family that is bereaved or they mobilize resources to um, desilt um, a local drainage system or the mobilized community to build a community market or such project happen. And they are mainly voluntary. So we see them happening in most communities that we visit. So we just tapped into that resource, that resource. And, and when we spoke to the community, they were so excited about it. And one of the pictures that we were looking at, they said, oh, that's, that's quite an amazing idea because then our children are not going to have their classes being interrupted. Then our children are going to acquire skills in vegetable farming, and they are going to teach us, you see. So there is a, an indirect benefit that also the community derives because then you are acquiring students um, from the community, acquiring new skills and transferring those skills to their homes. They are setting up uh, backyard gardens in their farm. And there is a little bit of um, diversity because some communities whose um, interest into, is into rearing livestock would begin to also um, diversify their um, interest into um, crop farming, vegetable farming, and so on and so forth. So that's quite the dynamism and then and the things that play out in the background. And for me, quite is quite in, in, in inspiring to see how the community and, and our project interacts. And then what happens? You you set it up and then you leave the community to own it. You you mentioned that community ownership is so important. So is the idea that you we will go from school to school to school setting it up and then they own it and the community owns it. So it's not something that you have to manage across every school on an ongoing basis. It, it becomes a, a self, um, it, 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 it grows within the community by itself. Is that is that the intent? Yes. Um, community ownership um, and stakeholder ownership is very important to the sustainability of the projects in the various schools because we can't manage all projects in all the schools that we have. In Ghana, we have more than 300 uh, secondary schools and, and we can't manage, we can't be everywhere. But the most important thing is that if you build systems and you build a kind of culture, okay, you let a community own it, they're able to manage it. They only fall back to you if there is any challenge or the, or, and and we we 
we see these projects run without our, because we have an exit strategy. We can continue to build this. Then it defeats the purpose, you see, of, of, of leaving that bit of impact in those communities and let it, it carry on. And one of the things that we saw was that other surrounding schools, communities began where we did not go to began implementing the project from what they've seen in other schools. Happen. Wow, that's cool. Good ideas spread. Yes, <laughs> that it's happened. And we it's our goal that um, every school in Ghana, especially those in, in disadvantaged communities are able to set up these farms. And we are also developing a model for urban schools and very rich schools, because then, because the children grew up in estates where there is, um, their parents are super busy. They go to the groceries shops to buy. So some of them have no idea, practical experience of what farms or plants growing up into food or crops or vegetables look like. So we want to also develop models for them where we, this urban gardens, urban farms set it up in their schools because schools in urban areas have little small space, but in the rural regions, most of them have huge spaces for, for you to grow on two acres, three acres, four acres, and five acres. But in urban spaces, they have very little spaces. Then you can do um, garden box farming, especially aquaponics. Um, you try new methods just to give them that experience, practical experience. Yeah, I was thinking, I was just thinking as you were talking that, you know, from a sustainability perspective, I, it feels like, Every child on the planet should uh, should learn how to grow their own food and how to have that connection to the land, to know where their food comes from. Yeah, certainly true. Because um, these young people are growing up. Once they learn the values of sustainability, they're able to translate it into how they relate with the environment, how they demand environmental sustainability, and and so on and so forth. So it's such important to instill this value in the younger generation whose future we are working hard to protect and preserve. So it's, it's better for them to grow up with such a culture. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, for people listening who don't know much about Ghana, like certainly I, even though I grew up in South Africa, I am embarrassed to say that I don't know much about Ghana. In Ghana, you know, what what percentage of children would you say are, are hungry? You know, all right, it's quite difficult to tell which one, but um, you have a lot of under fifty percent of children who are malnourished wow. in Ghana, and according to the Ghana Children's Act, you have a child between the ages from the ages of five to eight and is considered a child. So most of these children are either in primary school, junior high school, or in secondary school, up to secondary school. Um, that's when they are eating and above that they become, they are recognized as adults. And within those 
areas, especially this for the story of those who are in rural areas. Most of them are still under their parental care and, and they depend on their family for nutrition and so on and so forth. So if you have families that are poor um, and, and their priorities to, first priorities to provide um, food for the family, then probably education or educating their children becomes a secondary priority. Right. And that in itself affects um, the children's future prospects and so on and so forth. So it is important to have such a meals program to, to supplement the work of government and parent and to keep children in school. What, what has the impact? So how many schools have you been able to get into so far? And how many do you, I guess you said already that you want to get into every school. So how far along that, that, that um, goal are you? We actually now in, there are 12 regions in Ghana. We've been able to get into five regions in Ghana. We've been able to work with in set up in eight schools in Ghana and managing a project in eight schools. Um, it is our goal that by 2025, we should be able to make, at least be able to move to 100 schools with our new um, replica effects um, strategy that we are developing, currently working on, and also working on, on with um, the Ministry of Education to ensure that um, this project is run across the entire country, developing school farms policy for these schools because of the benefit. Because when you look at the curriculum, education curriculum, um, of these schools, you realize that the teaching of agriculture is supposed to go with the practical experience. And even it's stated that the schools should have school farms where they teach children um, the practice of the theory. Um, but you just have a few, a handful of them that have such practical spaces for such learning activity, majority of them do not have. So it will be in the interest of the Ministry of Education to also encourage our innovation to be able to achieve their own goal. Have you heard, um, you know, received feedback from the communities? I know you said that that some other schools saw what was going on and went and created the same thing in their schools. And some communities were very excited when they saw how successful it was. But have you had any other sort of specific feedback or stories, you know, that have come back? So in our second year of operation, we decided to conduct monitoring and evaluation exercise, an impact evaluation exercise. And we realized that there was 40% reduction in the feeding budget of the schools that we were working with. So that in itself was reflective of the fact that when we increase the investment into the program, it means that the school is not going in any way going to have problems with uh, funding school meals or getting school meals at all, and the education will not be um, interrupted. We also 
got testimony from the student who said that, um, for instance, an example is teaching about germination. Before the farm, um, they are just, part of a plant is just drawn on the board. They are being taught about germination, but they don't have the actual experience of the processes, the stages through which like seeing it in practice. So um, getting their teacher to get them to the farm to see how um, these plants grow from one stage to another was quite um, an experience that really that they like. And also um, we have worked with the communities who we interviewed the communities who also said that uh, when the schools were on um, summer break, we would call it or holidays, these children were setting up small like backyard garden behind their houses and some of the vegetables from those gardens were used in their in their house and their household and in preparing food for the home and those testimonies were quite um, inspiring to us we heard from the chiefs who also said that the community gathering to work on the farm also inspired some form of consciousness and some of them some people who came to the farm to work on the farm community members parents of these children began also investing in agriculture and starting up farms and learning new methods of farming. So now it's quite um, inspiring to us to hear about this unintended um, consequence of our project or impact of our project because um, not in our wildest imagination did we um, envisage that such an a ripple effect would impact the community in the way that we saw it. Oh gosh, and I imagine there's going to be ripples that you'll that you'll not know about that are really truly incredible. You know, like if a if a child goes on to tertiary education because they got meals at school and then they go on to do amazing things in the world, like you have. I mean, like yeah. how amazing will that be? I mean, it's just certainly it's so there are a lot more that we are yet to know. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, now, I'm sure like every founder in the world who's ever tried to start anything, uh, you've had some challenges along the way. Would you be able to share some of what some of those are and how you managed to get over them? Yeah, starting up is quite um, stepping up to address a problem in community goes with a lot of sacrifices. You need to first uh, convince the people closer to you um, about an abstract idea, then uh, you don't expect all of them to believe and understand until they begin to see the results. Um, so initially it has been a lonely journey. Um, you need to move from community to community with your friends trying to convince a community about an abstract idea. You hear a lot of people telling you that, oh, it can't really work uh, until they begin to see the results. So for us, it has always been that um, people would always uh, find it difficult 
to believe an abstract idea than an idea in practice. So um, it is an opportunity for us to work to implement this project and make them see it and they can become um, stakeholders, they can become advocates for our project that we work in. Yeah, there has been quite challenges with funding as well, just as I told you with the community convincing them. So convincing donor communities to support the project, set up these farms and these schools um, was quite difficult, but we were able to get a support of US Department of State through the US Embassy in Accra, Ghana to give us funding. We're able to get Makarere University Business School through IYF and also um, USAID and South Africa program to give us our initial startup funding. So um, it's a journey that we want to continue because we get a lot of fulfillment from it. And the testimony that we get from the community, from the students, from the teachers, um, are quite encouraging that we want to continue. Now, what the next step we want to move towards is to get in a school farms policy. Then we can get government support mm. so we can have this policy sustained over the years, even in the change of government, these projects will continue to uh, go on. So um, as there are challenges, you know, once you remind yourself of the reason why you started, um, you keep on going. So you must be conscious of the reason why you started in the first place. And now you... This the school farms program is actually part of a bigger idea. I understand that you are the founding executive director of the Reach Out to Future Leaders movement, and this is going to be sort of a, a, an umbrella program or umbrella organization that houses lots of different amazing, um, amazing ideas. Uh, do you do you have anything else on the horizon that's coming up or any, any other ideas that you want to implement? I mean, imagine there's still a lot of work to do on school farms, but um, if you look, look into the future, are there other things that you want to try and tackle? Yes. Um, it's, when I was telling you the story, when we started, the way we started is not the way we're working now. The project has evolved depending on the complexity, the challenges, and the good news and feedback that we get, we, we decide to um, fine tune the project to meet evolving challenges and problems that we face. So initially it was just focused on uh, providing supplementary food crops. Now we have added an experiential learning program. We have attached it to it. Now we want to look at creating, setting up an agricultural hub or knowledge have space where young people will come there for information because you have young people, there is so much prospects in a local agriculture development for rural young people, um, but there are just a few of them who are engaged in the sector. There, there is much work to be done to engage them because we have an employment rate and these young people can do so much okay, involve technology, how to use technology in agriculture and so on. 
trying to create uh, an agriculture cluster hubs in these rural communities for the sole purpose of uh, promoting local agriculture development. So that produce that are cultivated from these rural areas, value is added. Once value is added, more money comes into the pocket of the uh, smallholder farmers or the rural farmers who are mostly exploited by um, supermarkets that buy it at less price and also sell it as a brand prices in, in the local city. So we identify these gaps and trying to bridge them um, in the space that we are working with. So as time goes on, new ideas kept on, uh, keep on developing around our innovations and, and we are open to engaging these ideas, building institutions around them and keeping making them sustainable over the time. I would love to, uh, you know, look into the future, say ten years from now, and see, um, and see what all of the amazing, amazing things that you are working on. Um, I'm sure it's going to be very impactful and very interesting. Um, yeah, you are welcome to get on board. <laughs> we to well, see you also. if we're ever allowed to travel again, I'd love to come to Ghana. To Ghana. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> Alfred, I, I'm sure that others look up to you and will think about you and think, wow, I would you know, love to make change like Alfred does, uh, you know, such positive change. So you know, for, for other aspiring change makers and young leaders, what advice would you have for them if they wanted to make positive change in the world like, like you have? We need a lot of young people in this space of creating change in, in, in Ghana and around the world. The future belongs to young people um, and all the young people should begin to come together, work together and act on the challenges that confront them and form synergies and work with older generations as well learn the best practices from them and participate in actively in community development in the com development of their neighbor neighborhood in the development of their country participate in all aspects okay the 21st century has come at a time that um, we need all hands on deck okay when we don't act on the greatest challenges that we face, our children would come to face those challenges. So it, it, it is right place for us to come together and to work at addressing these challenges that we face. So the energy should be directed at transforming society, leaving an impact and making the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And and finally, Alfred, where can people find you online and, and school farms and how can they support the work that you do? Yeah, we have a website, www.schoolfarms.org. Every information is there, how to volunteer with us, how to support our activities, how to get on board and so on and so forth. So we'll be looking forward to working with anybody from any part of the world who believes in our idea and willing to join us, make a difference in the communities because it's our goal to also 
um, export this innovation to neighboring countries and all over the world where it's needed. So starting from the next country, that would be, we are thinking of setting up a project is La Côte d'Ivoire. From La Côte d'Ivoire, we go to Nigeria and so on, then get to East Africa, get to Southern Africa, and get to Latin America, get to Asia, and so on. And there are some innovations, some similar school garden innovations around the world will be willing to also learn from them and also share our experiences with them. I love it. I love it. Wouldn't that be an amazing future? Thank you so much, Alfred. This has been incredibly inspiring. I hope that this idea spreads and takes over the world. Um, you know, future will tell, but I'm sure with uh, with change makers like you on board, it will. Yeah, thank you for having me. School Farms is an idea worth spreading indeed. We find the idea of teaching children about food whilst making sure that they have healthy, nutritious meals just so very inspiring. Could this work in your community? Something to think about. Thank you once again for listening and we will catch you next time.